God is doing a work in us, and one of the things that's, uh, that I love to do is uh, go, to, go do the parade every year. I know a lot of people don't like it. I don't know if people are afraid to go out and walk, but one of the things that we do is we get a bunch of people, we got a great sound system, and we got a great band, and what I always do is I walk behind, and I just pray for Camarillo. I don't really hand out stuff. I just get in this moment, and every time on the parade, there's a moment where God just shows up. He meets me where I'm at, and for whatever reason, I had like a hamstring issue, so I was, I was limping a little bit, but there was a moment just as we turned in that I felt the presence of God, and, and I saw it through this other lady. There's lady off uh, where the old Albertson Shopping Center was. We were sitting there, and I looked at this lady. She didn't see me, and I'm waving high, and all of a sudden, I can just see her, and, and someone was singing, probably McKenzie or Jeremy, they were singing, and and her hand was up in the air, and she was just glorifying God. And my heart and her heart must have connected because I got to that same spot and just watched the glory of God as, as we were singing and, and, and worshiping and praising. And then for a moment, the, the spirit just fell, and it was just powerful on me. And I love that about this. And this is a Jeff Foss special. He loves going out and creating this environment and having us as a church singing about Jesus down the street. And it was super powerful to watch God work in that place. And people are going to come to know Jesus because of a, a, a goofy bunch of people that gathered around a tree and put a generator on to crank up some worship music downtown Camarillo. So thank you all that joined, and thank you for your participation in prayers, because God is good. It's amazing to see what God can do with a few people around a tree that are sold out for Jesus Christ. And if you're not one of them, join in, because there's a hot coal in this place, and it's not me, it's you. And God will start working and moving, and all of us will at some point see God in all of his glory and all of his splendor. Now, I'm going to make a little disclaimer because I hate self-promotion. I hate people talking about me. We've done a couple of open mics, and there was this one where 25 or 30 people came up and talked about me. It was miserable for me. That just was like swords to my soul. I don't really like self-promotion, and I also don't like to promote G uh, journey. I like to promote Jesus. But listen, here's the deal. On everyone's seat, there's a card about this series. And everybody hold up a card, just so I know at least you touched it. This card could save someone's life. And I'm not talking about from the uh, uh, emergency room. That could happen. But it can save someone's soul so that they can be connected with the God of the universe. And that they will watch healing happen. My sister said several years ago when she came, she goes, Journey's a church that doesn't see the miraculous healings necessarily up in front. But Journey's a place where people's hearts get mended. People's souls get mended. The broken places of life, people come and find that healing ointment of Jesus. And they start to heal and connect back to God, maybe for the first time. Or maybe for, um, you know, for the first time in many years. That's what we are at this church. So think about this series. Think about what God is doing. There's a couple of crazy things that you can do to invite people that isn't too churchy because we're not a super churchy church. We're just sold out for Jesus. Yeah. Last week, I kind of opened or closed with this. What kind of Jesus do you worship? What kind of king do you worship? I want you to really contemplate that for a second. What kind of king do you worship? 
Last week I said, the kind of king that we worship here is one that takes his seat out of the throne of heaven and comes into this earth as a baby boy and lives a life of, of, uh, similar to all of us and then dies on the cross for you and I so that we would have a better relationship to a father. What kind of king do you serve? That's the king that I believe in. Not a marginal God, not an unloving God, not a mean God, but a God that transforms and brings hope to the world through the, through the lost and the lonely and the insignificant, which is me. That's the kind of God that I believe in. And we as Christians need to stop putting boxes and barriers around the glory of God and behold him for who he truly is. Lifting him up high above all of our issues, putting him above our kids, above our finances, above our, our mortgage payments or our rent payment or lack thereof, and say, God, you are bigger and better than anything that I have, and I'm going to behold you and lift you up far beyond anything that I can do. A lot of us miss that concept and don't hear God's voice. Today, I'm going to pray as I'm ministering today that God is going to be here and work in many of us as he has been for weeks and months and some of us for years. This series that we're on is called Behold. And last week I gave a whole list of things to behold, a whole litany of words that help us understand behold. If you want to go to the website, you can hear that message. If not, just stick around and I'll probably say most of them over the next few weeks. But here's what God is saying. God's teaching me in last week. Uh, that I want to bring forward this week is the first thing is to behold is to earnestly and spiritually contemplate God. Bring earnest spiritual contemplation. Think about that for a second. Now listen, I am not a con contemplator. I can't even say it. I definitely can't spell it. I'm one of those guys that can go about 30 seconds and then I'm like on to something else. And that's a long time for me. But when we behold God and we contemplate who he is and what he is and how he works and spiritually put some idea in who he is and that he came down to be an average person so that you and I can have a, 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 a spectacular, amazing, godly life with Jesus, that's the kind of king that we need to contemplate. So behold is an earnest spiritual contemplation. The second thing is to behold God is to respond to God. To respond. We're a church that loves people to respond, to reach out and lift up a hand or stand up and sing or come up and kneel before God. We're a church that wants people to respond. And behold is one of those things. You are to respond to God saying, Lord, I am in a place of, of, of trouble and dismay, but I'm going to put you first. I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to contemplate you as bigger than my problem." beholding God and making that a response. And finally, the thing that, that God really taught me last week is behold is a prophetic word. It's a word that's something in the future. It's something that we can grab onto, and it's, it's a prophecy, and it's a word describes one pleasing our master. When you are beholding God, you are truly in that place of uh, pleasing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that brings us to our memory verse Last Sunday at about 6 o'clock, Kate put something on our, our Facebook, and it's our memory verse. And so if you have a smartphone and you'd like to remember our verse, we'll be putting these on the Facebook page so that you can put them as a screensaver. And here's what it says. Here's our memory verse. It says, Behold, he is coming 
in the, within the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierce him. All the tribes of earth will wail on him, the account of him. Even so, amen. Behold, that our Lord and Savior, Jesus, is coming back. That's one of the things that this series is focusing on. Not just the baby birth and him being a perfect sacrifice for the Lord, but he is coming back. We celebrate in church hoping one Sunday he's going to come down and open up this building and we're all going to see him and celebrate the Shekinah glory of Jesus. But until then, we will wait and behold him waiting to come back. And then the verse says that even those that reject him or pierce him will be wailing on the day that comes, comes back because he's going to show himself to everybody and everything. There will be people wailing because they rejected him. And there will be a whole group of us in this room and in this country and in this world wailing for the glory of God saying, finally, Lord, you are here. We celebrate you and we thank you for who you are and what you are. That's what we're trying to do. We behold Jesus, a savior, a sacrifice, a person who sanctifies us, which cleans us, means cleans us up, and brings shalom or peace in your home. There used to be a series called Shalom in the Home. It was a rabbi, and uh, he wants to bring shalom in the home, and that's your heart. He wants to bring that so that you can come forth with God and have a complete walk with him, truly honoring him. Now, I don't know about you, but um, it's Christmas season, and we're going to sing some Christmas songs after service, just like we did today. But I don't, I'm not really into the season, especially you walk out, it's like, I got this flannel. I was freezing yesterday, so I'm like, I'm going to flannel up, look cool, and get warm, and it's so hot out there, I wish I didn't have this on today. I'm sweating up here. But I'm not really into the Christmas season yet, but I know some of you are there. Dustin's been celebrating since June 25th of this year, and it's ridiculous. I don't know how many Hallmark. We ask him, what's a good Hallmark? And he's like, well, there was one on at 3 in the morning on Tuesday that was really good. I'm not in that season. Now, let me show of hands. Who has done all their shopping by, like, September or October? Raise your hand if you've done any of that. Oh, they were all in the first service, trust me. That's a, those first service folk, they're on it. Second service, whole different group. Let me, this is the group that, that, that's in the second service. Who's going to wait until about the 23rd, raise your hand and do some shopping? See, second service, thank you so much for being here. Today we're going to talk about the virgin birth, and we're going to use this to kind of grab a hold of faith. And understand that God is here with us right now. And it's not about me. It's not about worship. It's not about anything but believing that God is with us right now and wants to do something inside of us. And that's what we see with God. He wants to do a work. And so today we're going to look at the story of the virgin birth in Matthew chapter 1 verse 18. And we're going to use it. But I want to really talk about faith. I want you to think about this mindset because in this story, there's two things that are about faith and there's some things about God being with us at the end that really bring this message together. The first thing is this. Faith is the beginning point of all Christianity. For you to be called a Christian, you have to put your faith into Jesus. For us to actually celebrate Jesus, we have to go to his birth and what he did when he was born so that we can have a celebration of faith. So faith is the beginning of, of, of our walk with Jesus, 
And Jesus' birth is the beginning of all Christianity that we celebrate. That's the purpose or the reason for the season. So if you're able to stand, let's turn in your Bibles if you have one. If not, it should be on that green piece of paper or one of our wonderful guys put this on the screen. So if you don't have a Bible, you can read it from there. But this is after a long genealogy, which we'll talk about in a second. They come, here comes the story. It says in verse 18, the birth of Jesus came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she had been pregnant by the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Because what she has conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save the people from their sins. Now, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the Lord, or by the Lord through the prophet, and that prophet is Isaiah. And here's the quote from Isaiah 7:14. It says, Behold, the virgin shall be with child. And shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translates God with us. When Joseph got up from sleeping, he did as the Lord, the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not know her intimately until she gave birth and named him Jesus. Now, at this church, what we believe in is that I'm not the only one to be filled with the Spirit, that I'm not the one that should be the only one praying all week. You should be praying right now and throughout the week that you can receive a message when we come together as a group of people. So as I pray, you should ask the God of the universe through Jesus and the Holy Spirit to start working amongst us so that you can receive something and walk out of here filled with all of God's glory and splendor so that the world will know that he is alive and there's a testimony in you. So let's pray. I will pray for God to use me, but you've got to be open to hear God's voice. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you and praise you that you have come into the world as a baby boy and lived just like us. But because of who you are, you are a perfect sacrifice that brings hope and light to the world. And we pray today that you will magnify us that you will show us how you live and how you want us to live, and that we will see you somehow, some way, through music, through prayer, through the word, but ultimately, Lord, you will reveal yourself, and you will give us a word or a, a, or a prophecy, or you will give us something that we can hold on to for your kingdom to come. Lord, we praise you and wait for the day that you come back, but until then, we will lift you high and behold you above all things, and we say this to the name above names, Jesus Christ and all his people said, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. A man who's an author named Raymond Holywell writes this. He says this, and he's an author back in the 70s and 80s. He says, God does not require you to follow his leadings on blind trust. Trust is the output of faith. He says, God is not challenging you to, to just live in blind trust. Behold, the evidence of an individ, uh, invisible intelligence pervading everything, even your own body and uh, mind and body. Here's what he's saying. He's saying there's going to be a moment where the Holy Spirit wants to take over your life, like you're going to see in the story with Mary. The Holy Spirit comes and overshadows her and gives her a child. 
He says the Holy Spirit, when you grab a hold of God through the Holy Spirit, that you're not stuck alone in this blind faith. You're actually trusting a God in the universe through his individual, in, in the invisible Holy Spirit. We don't see the wind, but we see the trees blow in the wind. And we've got to trust that there's wind up there. You feel your hair move. That's God how he wants us to grab a hold of his invisible blessing. He wants to cover us. And we see that in this virgin birth story. Matthew 18 starts uh, with the, the story. Matthew has met Mary and has communicated. So a lot of Mary's story is told by Matthew. And she was heavily part of the church. So it says, after Mary, his mother, had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered that before they came together, before they had union together, that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. This created some issues. So today we're going to talk about what is the importance of this story What's the deal with virginity, and how is this outcome, or what does this story mean for us as individuals? Now, I don't know about you, well, the way that I read and grab a hold of the Bible is I'm like, what's the purpose for me? I'm pretty selfish. I'm a selfish man, and I need, uh, I need something out of this. So I'm like, what's the purpose for me? And so hopefully, if, if this is your first time here, we're trying to figure out what this is for me and you. What does this make sense about? What's the thing about virginity and the birth, and, and what's the outcome and benefit for me as an individual? The doctrine of the virgin birth is critical. Without it, Jesus is minimized enormously. So just as we, that first question is, don't think I'm minimizing when I say that. This is critical stuff, and for us to break it down so that it makes sense for us on Sunday really helps us give uh, God glory because of, uh, of the critical nature of the virgin birth. We have to look to the genealogy. Several years ago, before I became a pastor, I was kind of the janitor at Crossroads Community Church, and this guy came to the church for a year, and I was doing some seminary classes, and he says, Jeff, why don't you become a pastor? Take the license test with me in six or eight months. And this guy truly blessed me. He's the reason why I'm here today. And he was only there for a year. He was like an angel. When he moved on, I, I was crying because I'm like, you came just for me. And I remember that, and uh, I couldn't believe it. But this guy taught me something about genealogies. I don't know about you, but when I come to the Bible on the genealogy, I'm like, next. <laughs> Skip. Scroll, because I, you know, it doesn't make any sense. But when I ask this guy a question about theology, he opens up to the genealogy in Matthew, and he's looking at it. He's like, "Oh, it's right here," and it triggered something in the Old Testament. And I said, "That's how I want to uh, read the Bible and understand it." Well, I still don't know it. I have to ask Jeremy, but it was a good try, anyways. But genealogies really explain the virgin birth and some crazy stuff about it. In Matthew, there's a genealogy from Abraham, the father of faith, to Joseph. And in Luke chapter 3, there's a genealogy from Adam all the way to Mary. So there's two genealogies in the New Testament. Now listen, here's kind of some of my crazy thinking. Abraham is what I call the father of faith. He's the one that he put his son up on the altar and said, hey, I'm going to take this, this kid. If, if I need to kill him, I'm going to do it. He's a faithful man. He's the father of faith. Now, that would mean Adam is the father of what? Sin. He brought sin into the world. He birthed it by his actions. So you have one that's the father of sin and one that's the father of faith. And, 
And, and that's what we have in these genealogies. Now, when you look at the genealogies, you look at it and you see that Jesus was not like a normal Jewish boy. Every other Jewish boy had a father begotten a father, begotten this and begotten that, but Jesus doesn't have that. When you look at the lineage of it, at the beginning of Matthew, it says this. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was begot by Jacob. Jacob begot by the father, and so on and so forth to the point where it comes right before Jesus. And then it says, Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary. And then all of a sudden, the lineage stops. It doesn't say Joseph was the begot Jesus. It says that he's the, he's the guy that married Mary. That's it. It doesn't tell him and give him any credit. And then if you look to Luke, it says, oh, Joseph, it's the guy that they call Jesus' uh, dad. He's the son of Joseph, but he's not really, but it's the guy they call Joseph's dad. I mean, Jesus' dad. And so they really kind of stop the lineage right there. And that's an important thing because Jesus is no average little Jewish boy. He comes from the Holy Spirit. And he comes to radically change the way that we think and feel. Jesus comes by the Holy Spirit. And I don't know, I don't have the answer to that. We put faith in that because I believe that God can part the seas. I believe that God can resurrect people. I can believe God can heal people. So I'm not going to struggle with the virgin birth and believe that he can't bring a child into this world. Some lady came up and she goes, we can do artificial insemination to a virgin today. I'm like, okay. If man can do anything, God can do it even 10 times better or 100 times or a million times better. So it's not something that we struggle with. Mary is just a vessel, and God is the miracle maker. He's the one that does the work. Mary is just a vessel, just like your flesh and bones are a vessel for the glory of God to go out into this world. Mary is that same type of vessel. She's a virgin that comes before God, and God does this incarnation miracle inside of her. During this story, though, there's two huge issues that faith needs to prevail so that you and I can uh, understand this story and then in increase our faith as well. Verse 19 says, So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. All of a sudden, Joseph finds out, My wife is pregnant and it's not by me. That's not good. Then it says in verse 20, but after he considered these things, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus because he will save the people from their sins. Behold, Jesus will come and save us. From our sins. If you are sitting in a place of sin today, the only thing that will save you is Jesus. It won't be a phone call or a text to me or my sister or Lori or anybody in this world. Even though Brother Lowell looks super holy, we got to point to Jesus. <laughs> Sorry, Lowell, I didn't mean to. You do look good today, by the way. We still point ourselves to Jesus. And that's what we're trying to do today. Now, I want to kind of talk a little bit about virginity for a second. So if you're under 40, close your ears. 
Today in our world, we've had a sexual revolution. Those crazy hippies in the 60s brought all kinds of stuff into the world. And so today, virginity is an oddity. It's an odd thing. There was a there was thing on The Bachelor uh, last year at this time, and they were talking about this one girl who was a virgin. They made a big deal about it. She was the only one because it's an odd thing today. She was 26 or 27, and it was an odd thing. Back 100 years ago, it was normal. 2,000 years ago, it was very normal. The way that you got married is you presented your virgin daughter to this man, and that's how marriage was done. It was the normality today. It's an oddity. And we need Christ to make sure that that works so that we go into that same mindset. This isn't conservative This isn't crazy. This is how God wants us. Holy and pleasing before God and before our husband and wife, virgin, so that they can have a great union together and explore life with each other under God's blessing. It's an oddity today, and back then it wasn't. It was normality. So there you go. Here's the two issues that we deal with. Number one is a teen pregnancy. Teen pregnancy today is, is, is crazy. It's radical. It's, it changes a family, and, it, and it, it changes a girl forever, and it's hard. Back then, it was a little bit more acceptable because it would be common for a 13 to 18-year-old to have a, ch- a child but be married at the same time. But it still was an issue because her, her child that she's having is not her husband's. So... There's two issues. She's pregnant with child, but it's not her husband's, and now Joseph has to deal with it, and that's his issue. Because back in the day, his reputation was on the line, and so was Mary's father. Their reputation is on the line at this particular moment. Now, this couple is engaged in a Jewish uh, wedding ceremony. You would take a full year. If you wanted to be married December 10th, 2017, yesterday you would have to have an engagement party, and then the whole year this couple would be together doing stuff together, but they would never sleep together and spend the night together. There's two different things there, so if you didn't know that, come see Randy and Janet if you need some information. They love to, they'll be at the prayer team in a little bit, so you can ask them. And all of a sudden, Joseph finds out that his wife, that he's going to put a ring on it in a couple of months, is pregnant with a child that's not his, and it's a disgrace. And there's really two choices that he sees. In his society, there's really only two choices. Number one, he can privately divorce her and either have her leave the community or him leave, but this has got to end and he's got to walk away. Or the second thing is to stone her to death because she's an adulterer. But as God does, God brings other options. Just like he will in your life, God, if you, have you ever been in a situation when you only can see one little focus thing? It's like, this is my only choice. Oh, there's Nita. Hi, Nita. God takes the hands off our eyes and says, look it, there's more choices than one. Why don't you just marry her? Because the child she has is mine. God brings us new choices. Gives us new options, and that's what we see here that's really important. Joseph is a man of faith, and he listens to the glory of God. Mary, now Mary, she's got a hard, a hard situation, a lot harder than Joseph by far. Just as women that give childbirth, they have a different connection with the kid. And men, I wish that we could say that we do, but we just don't. And Mary is going to be scarred and marred for the rest of her life, and even today. 
Mary's issue is that she's going to be a liar and adulterer. Most people that don't believe in Jesus and the virgin birth think she's a liar and adulterer, right? And she's going to have to live with that forever. I have a friend of mine that I've been trying to bring to church and to talk about Jesus, and he's stuck on the virgin birth. That's not, it's not possible. We all know how babies come. And he's stuck. But listen, Mary is still being accused of she, there's no way that she did this on her own. And then the Holy Spirit worked. She must have been doing something around the corner with her husband or somebody else. And so she is marked forever. Jesus was not born into sin. He had no sin nature. Sin nature is passed down from generation to generation. That's how you receive it. That's how life was. Once Adam bit the apple and Eve procreated, we have sin nature. The only way to stop that is to bring a pure sacrifice before God and and offer that to God so that he can be holy and pleased and then we can be free of our sin nature. The virgin birth circumvents the transmission of the sin nature. That's the purpose of, of the sin birth, and we've got to grab a hold of that. It stops that, and Jesus comes as the purest sacrifice ever gone uh, before God. The lineage stops, and that's why he's not begot by anybody except by God himself. And that changes the mindset of everything in this story. God allows a perfect man to come into this world. That's what we call the God-man, this superhero God-man, 100% man, 100% God, 200% better than anybody to ever walk on this earth. And he does things that only he can do, and he's still doing them 2,016 years later. And that's what this story really grabs a hold of. We've got to put our faith in this perfect God-man that comes into the world and radically changes you and I for who, who we used to be to who he wants us to be. And some of us are in the middle of that. And when you're in the middle of that, it doesn't look very good. It doesn't feel very good. It doesn't, you know, have you ever, I used to have a snake growing up and when it was shedding its skin, its eyes turned gray and it just looks terrible. But after it gets rid of that skin, it's beautiful and back to normal. And some of you are in the middle of gray eyes and shedding stuff we don't even want to know about. (laughs) But one day you're going to look beautiful. One day you're going to hold up and go, this is where I came from. That's my old self. And look at I behold this to God because of what he can do. Does that make sense? Verse 22 says, now this all took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet Isaiah. Behold, a virgin shall be with child. Behold, she shall bear a son. Behold, they shall call him Emmanuel, which translates God is with us. Listen, the purpose of this story is to realize we have to have faith. But if you have faith in Jesus, you then have to believe that he is here right now working on all of us. Myself included, probably more than me, than anybody else in this room. But he is here, and if you will get yourself out of the way and uh, get yourself out of your mind and out of your heart and let God work, he will start doing something within you right now if you behold him above all things. Joseph got this revelation from the Holy Spirit, from these angels. He got up from sleeping. He did as the the Lord commanded. And then it says he didn't sleep with his wife until she had a kid. And and, and other religions don't realize this, but Jesus had brothers and sisters after the fact. 
And it's hard to grasp when you, when you haven't been taught that. But this is the truth, and this is what God wants us to understand. Joseph, his lineage comes from Abraham. What can we grab from Joseph is he's faithful. It would be just, he would be just as righteous if he secretly divorced his wife or if he even stoned her to death. He would be considered a righteous man following the law 100%. But he is faithful. He hears from God because God is with us. And he takes this revelation and says, I'm going to do a third thing that didn't even come to my mind. I'll just accept her and marry her. And she will be my wife and we will bring forth a savior to the world. And he's here. Saving us from sin and it's going to save someone from a life of eternal separation from God. The story of these two people are great, faithful people. And their reputation and their lives were on the line. They put their life on the line saying, I'm going to go into this world and everybody's going to make fun of me because I'm with this woman who's got a kid that says it's from God. And she's like, I'm putting my reputation because nobody's ever going to believe me for the rest of my life. I'm going to be an adulterer. I'm going to be a liar. I'm going to be a fornicator. Even if Jesus says, comes to be who he says he's going to be, people are still going to hold that against him. Their reputation and their lives are on the line, but in the end, God gets all the glory. Are, is your life and your reputation on the line, and is God going to get the glory in your life? That's the question that we need to answer today. Are you faithful enough to let that uh, be? beholding in your life so that your reputation and your life means nothing and God uses you as a vessel to lift up other people for his kingdom. God is with us. Everybody say it. He's with us now. He's with us till the end of time. And he was with us from the, from the day that Jesus brought the Holy Spirit among us. God is with us. And the way that we connect with the God of the universe today is through the gift of the Holy Spirit. Forty days after Jesus left and as he ministered to 500 people on earth, there was a moment where the group of people were upstairs praying and the Holy Spirit comes, and that's how God is with us here today. We see Jesus through other people. We read his word and the Holy Spirit magnifies something and it jumps out and says, man, God is with me. I can feel him. I can hear him. I can understand him. I can see him and he does great work in me. So let's talk about some application today. What is the purpose or what is the outcome? The virgin birth is Jesus comes in the form of a baby and to bring us great hope and faith, the beginning of our salvation comes from that baby Jesus. And because of that, we celebrate Jesus in our life and then we have this God with us constantly, this Holy Spirit. And here's four things that the Holy Spirit does. He connects us to God. The first thing is the Holy Spirit engages us intimately. I don't know about you, but if you're not in an intimate relationship with someone, God wants to be intimate with you. And I'm talking about crazy intimacy. Not like a Netflix with a coffee. It's not intimate. He wants to overshadow you like he does with Mary. He wants to envelop you like you're dunked in a tank of water. He wants to come over you and allow you to be completely intimate with who he is. He wants to take you to places you've never been inside your heart. That's what we're talking about. He wants to be intimate with you. This is how God does it. 
There's a moment where Mary's saying, well, God, how am I going to be saved? And who is, this, who is this Holy Spirit thing? And how am I going to have a baby? I've never been with a man. And God says this in Luke 1.35, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. He's the one that's going to do this. And then you're going to call him the Son of God, the Most High that's ever lived on this earth. If you want to be intimate with God, you've got to get out of the way and let him overtake your body. And you will experience euphoria and the Shekinah glory like you've never experienced it before. I better get the band back up or they'll never come up because I'll go for an hour. The second thing that God wants to do is he wants to grow us. The purpose of the Holy Spirit, for those that don't know it, is it's the disciple program or mechanism. You can go to the church and we can do these books and we do them here. I'm not degrading them. But the mechanism of the discipleship program is not reading a book. It's the Holy Spirit. And then that person and the people in the book watch the Holy Spirit work and that person grows to be a human being or a man or woman of God. The discipleship mechanism of Jesus Christ is the Holy Spirit. How do I know that? Well, it's not my own idea. It comes out of John 14. It says, John 14. It says, the Father will send an advocate as my representative. That is the Holy Spirit. He will teach us everything, and he will remind you of everything that I've told you. God is the one that teaches. I don't. I have nothing to offer. I'm on my knees praying every Sunday. Lord, will you say something that makes sense to one person? That's a good offering to the Lord. I know nothing apart from God. I am a man that has no business to be on stage. But because of the glory of Jesus, he magnifies himself even through the insignificant like me and like you. I was sitting in a church several years ago, and Cod called me out of, the, uh, out of the seat and said, you need to become a pastor. I have no business being up here. But God has a business of taking those type of people and moving them. And there's people in this room that he wants to do that as well. The discipleship mechanism is the Holy Spirit. And how does he disciple? He guides us in life. He takes us to those places that we've never been before. Those conversations, those churches that are filled with the Holy Spirit and we're in this place and we feel God and we can hear him and we worship him and we're like, this is where I'm supposed to be. He guides us. In the book of Acts, there's moments where the Holy Spirit puts Paul in a different place. He wants to go here and the Holy Spirit says, go here. The Holy Spirit wants to guide us into that place. If your marriage isn't right, the Holy Spirit wants to guide you into a better marriage. If your finances are all jacked up, trust in God. He's got a better 401k than anything I've ever seen. God wants to guide you. And here's the last thing. God wants to create in the midst of us as a congregation a place to worship. God is with us. Everybody say it. God is with us right here, right now. And he wants us to bring a place of worship. Through Christmas, through Easter, in January when nobody wants to be in church anymore, and in the summertime when they're going on vacation, God is with us no matter what. And he uses the story of the virgin birth to teach us that we need to be faithful by it like those two and believe that no matter what, our reputations and our life are on the line, and no matter what happens, God is with us. 
And he can do great and amazing things. And that's what he wants us to do. And because of that, we worship him and behold him above all things and say, today I'm going to earnestly contemplate you in my life. As Jeremy sings this Christmas song, I want you to earnestly contemplate Jesus as your Lord and Savior and how he is going to guide you as him being with you today moving forward. Let's put a marker on our life and say, today, no longer will I be in your way, Lord. I want to move to and fro in this world with you being with me every step of the way. We worship that. Luke 2, 13 and 14, suddenly there was an angel with a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and singing glory to the highest on earth, peace among all those whom he has pleased. The Lord is trying to teach us how to worship on earth because when you make it to heaven, you're going to do it 24-7. Practice now so that you're a little better than where you're going to be in heaven. And if you sing like me, it's going to sound beautiful in heaven. (laughs) you've heard me I want to close with this I want you guys to have a moment with God today it's not Christmas yet but God wants to gift you the love of Christ and he wants to give you a personal intimate uh, moment with him today contemplate him if you're like me and you got a little ADHD give him 30 seconds or a minute And if you do that, you will realize the magnitude of who he is and what he can do in the midst of you trying to put him first in your life. Does that make sense? I believe in a God that's not marginalized. I believe in a God that wants to shatter down the walls of what we perceived him. And he wants to open us up to new landscapes and new seascapes and new mountainscapes that we can see him in all that we do. God is with us now. And one day he'll be back, but he's preparing us now for his glory. Will you just bow your heads as we contemplate him and pray for his glory? Lord, we thank you for your virgin birth. We thank you that you have broke down the walls of sin through sin nature because of Jesus and that virgin birth. He is our perfect sacrifice. And Lord, as we contemplate and worship, oh, Emmanuel, we sit here believing you and hoping in you and wanting you to do a work in all of us. And Father, as we come to that threshold today, there is someone in this room that needs healing and restoration, but also salvation. And that starts with claiming Jesus as Lord and Savior in your life. If that is you today, put your life behind you and put the cross before you and accept it and bring it into your soul. You do that by saying a prayer of salvation. That prayer goes like this, and that's you. Repeat after me, Father, forgive me. Come into my heart, come into my soul, and be my Lord and Savior forever. I have faith that you died and you rose again so that I may have eternal life. Anoint me with that advocate, that Holy Spirit that disciples me and guides me and helps me worship so that I can follow you all the days of my life. Father, we praise you above all things. We lift you up and ask for your glory to shine as we worship you in our lives. And all God's people said, amen.